Our reading today is from 1 Kings chapter 8, 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 27 to 30 and then verses 59 to 61. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry of, and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And then verses 59 to 61. And may these words of mine, which I have prayed before the Lord, be near to the Lord our God day and night, that he may uphold the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel according to each day's need, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God, to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at, as at this time. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks so much, Emily. And good morning, everyone. It's such a joy to be with you this morning. And we find ourselves, don't we, at an interesting moment in time. Stephen, our vicar here, has been helping us as a church navigate some of this. That perhaps on the one hand, it's a complex time to follow Jesus, but on the other hand, we're expectant. We've been hearing about moves of God's spirit across the globe, and we're aware of what God is doing here in our church community, people just walking into the church and encountering Jesus for the very first time, undergraduate students becoming Christians, coming to faith in Jesus and at their baptism, bringing their friends, and then down the line, those friends also putting their faith in Jesus. We're hearing these wonderful stories of the radical transformation of people's lives in and through the church's ministry here, ACT, which works with the most vulnerable in our city and the children and the youth ministries are growing. It might be a complex time, but we're expectant, aren't we? There's permacrisis, cost of living crisis, health crisis, political crisis, but the emerging generations, or Gen Z as they're called, are hungry for God. And the slightly older generations, those that have emerged, they've been praying for this since before Gen Z, Gen Z were even born. And they as well are revitalized and expectant too. A couple of Fridays ago, Owen, my husband and I had dinner with a retired couple here from the church, and it sort of got to 11 p.m. before we realized that we probably needed to go home <laughs> and um, let our babysitters go home. We were just having such a wonderful time, sharing our stories of how we'd each come to faith in Jesus, and then also getting to hear about how this couple now retired are pouring in to the life of younger people here in this church, going for coffees, leading an alpha table, uh, discipling postgrads and undergrads, how they uh, are mentoring through the discipleship program here at the church, Breaking Ground. I, I spoke to them again, I caught up with them at the 6 p.m. gathering here 
uh, last Sunday and was just like, what are you doing tomorrow? What does Monday hold for you? And they said, as well as a bit of gardening, it was lined up with a whole bunch of coffees with younger people in this church just to invest in them. And they were sharing as well that their own faith in Jesus has been revitalized this last few months too. I had a really similar conversation actually at a funeral two weeks ago with a retired couple who were in the church that I grew up in, in Cardiff, who said that they sort of got to the end of all the lockdowns and felt a little bit like they had this choice. You know, this emerging generation, they felt, you know, are so different from us. We've, we've got a choice here. We either retreat because we feel like we don't understand them, perhaps, or we get stuck in. And so they've made choices. And they're on the youth group serving in the church, and they're uh, leading a small group with students. I was so inspired by these conversations recently. You see, yes, it might be complex, but we're also expectant and we're seeing the goodness of God in our midst at the moment. And I want to continue with that theme of expectancy as we look here in the Old Testament at this bit of 1 Kings 8. So maybe grab your Bibles if you've got them there with you. This is a high point in Israel's history. Now Israel are the people of God, the people who had been called by God to enjoy this incredible privilege of being on the receiving end of his specific revelation and intervention in human history. That's Israel, God's people. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, which has a parallel text in 2 Chronicles 6, if you want to read it there as well, Solomon, who's one of Israel's kings, he's King David's son, he's built a temple. And it's a place for the Israelites to come to worship God. And so in our passage, Solomon is praying. He's dedicating this temple that has taken seven years to build. And it's a temple that people had contributed, actually, towards the building of. They brought, we can read of this in 1 Chronicles 29, their gold, their bronze, their whatever they had, their, their gifts, their offering to the building of this temple, which particularly resonates, I think, with what we've been thinking about the last couple of weeks, bringing our gifts to the work of God here in this church and in our city. You see, this is the temple here that King David had dreamed of, that he'd longed to build, and it's beautiful in its design and beautiful in its construction, and it's this sort of beautiful sign of God's people's desire to encounter him, to see him, to know his presence, and it's also a beautiful sign of their generosity to make it possible. And here, in what we're looking at this morning in 1 Kings chapter 8, perhaps with all of the shininess of the temple and maybe sort of with all of that, that in the background going on in Solomon's mind, he sort of gets to the heart of the matter. And he says, you know what, people of God? There's no point in any of this without God's presence. And that's what I want to talk about this morning that there's no point without his presence, that we long for his presence, that we live to know his presence, that his presence, his closeness, his indwelling, his nearness to us gives purpose and makes sense of and gives us life and gives us hope, that there is no point without his presence, how we need the Lord, how we need the Lord. And Solomon gets that and Solomon prays into that and Solomon standing here says, God, we need you, come with your presence. There's no point without your presence. You know, one of the things, there's many things I find wonderful about this passage, but one of the things that I find wonderful is that before Solomon has even asked to know a greater sense of the manifest presence of God, 
we look back in our chapter and see that God in his grace has already come. In verse 10, it says, when the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud, which was the reality of God's presence with his people in the wilderness, it filled the temple of the Lord and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Solomon isn't so much perhaps an asking a question of God, but appreciating more fully a reality that God has come, that God's presence you know, in our lives and in our church com- community and in our communities and our neighborhoods like, isn't something that we drum up you know, as if we could. No, God has always been the God who takes the initiative, who goes first, who draws near to us first. And that's why it's a wonderful thing to look at the Old Testament scriptures, the scriptures Jesus loved, that he quoted from, that he taught from, because we see here that this is how God has always been, that he has always been a God who initiates, who draws near to his people, who comes close to his people. You see, God knows that we need him. God knows that we were designed for relationship with him. And he comes close here in 1 Kings 8 in a cloud. But he would come close, not concealed in a cloud, and not just to a particular people at a particular moment, the Israelites, but in the person of Jesus Christ, come close to the whole world in Jesus, God in the flesh, and would pour out his spirit, his presence with us at Pentecost for all who believe in Jesus. And so I want to ask us the question this morning, What does it look like for us to be more a people who sort of posture ourselves daily as those who seek the presence of God, who respond to him coming close to us, who seek more of him, who say, we we need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. And so firstly, we see from our passage that a people who posture themselves to seeking the Lord and seeking his glory and seeking his presence are firstly a people who are humble, a humble people who pray. Solomon expresses here this humble prayer. He says in verse 27, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. And so Solomon, 1 Kings 8, the beginning of, tells us that he's gathered all these people around, all the people, all the Israelites, and he's sort of standing, verse 22, in front of the altar, and he raises his hands to begin to pray, to begin to seek God. And I like to imagine that at this moment in verse 27, I don't know, maybe he stops and he pauses. Maybe he sort of gently laughs at the kind of disbelief of of all of this, or or maybe... uh, little tear of awe and wonder drops from his eye as he contemplates his smallness, even as a king of Israel, and God's vastness and bigness and his grace that he would indeed dwell in this place, in their midst, in the temple, so they could know his goodness and his love and his healing and his closeness. And Solomon is humbly like, wow, what a mystery. Wow, how wonderful. In fact, the word heaven is like a repeated refrain throughout this part of the passage, almost like it's grounding Solomon in the wonder that the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God of it all would choose to come and dwell with his people for he loves them and his presence makes us whole and his presence is beautiful. You see, Solomon is humble. Solomon realizes that he can drive forward a project and he's done a great job of it here. He can drive forward a project, but only God himself can move in with his presence. 
There's no point without God's presence. And so Solomon stands here and says, Lord, I need you. You see, Solomon can create an impressive startup, but only God can start up something that will last. Solomon can plan, but only God's purposes will prevail. Solomon can work really hard, but only the work of God in his life and in the lives of his people will have eternal value. Solomon can make something beautiful, but there is nothing like the beauty of the Lord in our midst. And so he says, Lord, we need you. Come here with your presence. And Solomon's humble prayer here gains sort of momentum. It's kind of building up to in verse 30 where he says, hear, 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 God, hear us. And then when you hear, forgive. You see, a mark of a humble people who are seeking the glory and the presence of God is repentance. Where we come before God, acknowledging that we are deeply loved by the God who has made us, but also deeply in need of the forgiveness that only he can offer for an unholy people to come towards a God who is holy. And God has made this possible through what Christ has done for us, something we'll remember in a moment as we celebrate communion, through his life given for us on the cross, the forgiveness that we need, something that actually in our passage here, all of these sacrificial offerings sort of point to and prefigure. See, Solomon needed forgiveness the temple, it took seven years to build, but you know, Solomon, he built a palace for himself and it actually took twice as long, which is a little bit awkward, isn't it? <laughs> Slave labor is used. There are questions about Solomon's arrogance and his promiscuity. You see, a reminder often in the Old Testament that we have is that it's important to God how we go about things, the detail, the process, not just the end products matter to God. But by verse 54, we're told that Solomon rises from his knees and he begins with his arms outstretched. And so we can only assume at some point as he's humbled, as he he knows he needs forgiveness, he has just dropped to his knees, asking God to step in. What's beautiful is that God in his grace comes close because God delights to forgive. Psalm 51, written by Solomon's dad, in his mess, says a broken and humble person, God will not despise, God will not push away. God delights to forgive, God delights to draw close to us today. And this posture here, Solomon on his knees, asking for the presence of God, is something we can do daily. In fact, Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version of the Bible, a pastor and theologian in the States, he talks about us living daily in what he calls voluntary disaster. Well, we don't wait for the calamities in life to bring us to our knees, but we get in that place daily because we know that we don't want to go one step into the day without the healing and beautiful and wonderful presence and glory of God with us in our lives. In the summer, we went as a family camping in Wales, in um, South Wales, in Gower. And um, our son is football crazy. And so he decided during that time that he would organize an adults versus kids football match. 
Uh, he went around to different people's tents asking if they would come and, uh, <laughs> come and play football. It's a pretty brave thing to do, really. Um, but basically, he kind of uh, <laughs> created a bit of a community. It was a real joy and real fun to be in this football match. And I think it probably surprised you guys. It definitely surprised me, my husband, my kids, my in-laws who we were camping with. I actually contributed two goals to the adult score. Um, <laughs> Um, the, the adults had like built this game to a kind of really important point where um, like deliberately um, it was quite kind of exciting and tense. It was nine all, nine all. And so we're playing on this campsite on the grass and it's all very like leading towards this moment. And then suddenly this little boy who's five, he just in the strongest, strongest Welsh accent I've ever heard, just suddenly says, stop the game. And he makes everybody stop. Everyone's like, what is he doing? And then little Bo, that was his name, not a traditional Welsh name, but Bo, he, he runs off the pitch, having stopped everyone playing, runs to his caravan and just leaves us all waiting there, like, what is he, what is he gonna do? And then little Bo <laughs> runs back on the pitch. And he's not wearing his normal summer T-shirt anymore, he's wearing this. A little top with the name of Lionel Messi, one of the best, you know, top scoring, one of the best football players of all time. And we had the same response. We were like, this is very cute, Bo. There you are. You know, Bo knew at that moment what he needed to do is he needed to go and get the top of his hero. He was like, kids, this is what is going to change it for us. I need to be wearing the name of Messi. And obviously, Obviously, the kids won 10-9. There, <laughs> there would have been a lot of unhappy spectating mums if the score had gone any other way. You know, I think about that moment every now and then as a reminder of what it means for us to live aware every day that we need the presence of God with us on the pitch of life. That sometimes, and maybe this is a moment for us this morning, and a season for us in our nation, and a season for us across the globe, to stop the game, as it were. To stop the game. To be like Solomon here and say, Lord, if, if you don't come, there's no point. Come with your presence. Come with your name. Come with your life. Just a moment to stop and invite the Lord who loves us, the Lord whose name is here in our church. It says this in our passage. Solomon says to God, God, you said that this temple would be a place that would bear your name, that your name would be there. And here in this place at St. Aldeus, we call on the name of Jesus. We teach faithfully about who he is. And as we do that, we know more of his spirit by his Holy Spirit with us, his presence with us. We kind of carry, as it were, his name his name on us. And you know what's beautiful? As we do that, we realize that he carries our name on his heart too. So we're a humble people, running off the pitch, grabbing someone who's far greater, far more able, far stronger than we are, and running for the rest of the match in his strength. Humble, humble people who pray. And secondly, we're hungry 
We're hungry people, people who are hungry, who seek after God, who long for the things of God. It says in verse 29, may your eyes be open towards this temple night and day, this place of which you said, my name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place, hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Solomon repeats, hear, oh God, hear us. He's hungry for God's intervention in the lives of the Israelites. He asks God to hear, to see, to bless, to be near, to forgive. Solomon is saying, God, I'm hungry. Step in, do some stuff in our midst, Lord God. Would we know your presence? And in verse 31 to 53, he's petitioning before God's active involvement in various different situations in the lives of the Israelites and that at every point they would know the presence of God. You see, Solomon is hungry for God to intervene. Maybe you're here this morning and you are hungry for God's healing in your life physically or maybe his wisdom or his peace in a situation in your family. What are you asking God to intervene in? You know, there are those moments, aren't there, in life where we just are so aware that we need the Lord. Maybe we find ourselves in our car, in a car park, and we just pause. Or maybe we're waiting in the doctor's surgery. Or maybe we're stood in front of the office photocopier, and we pray our own little Solomon-like humble prayer of hunger for God's intervention, for God to step in, knowing that there's no point without his presence, knowing that we don't want to step even one more moment into the rest of the match, as it were, without him with us, without an awareness of who is for us and whose name we carry and who carries us with him. I think that this emerging generation, Gen Z, have an increased and a real prophetic and a witness to us kind of hunger for the things of God. They're longing for God. They're hungry for his presence. You know, they've lived through the instability of the pandemic and through the kind of disillusionment of what the 21st century West was meant to offer. And they're here and they're like, we want what's real. We want what's real. We want the presence of God in our midst and his glory, just as Solomon was asking for them to experience here in the temple. And so they're hungry that there's no point without God's presence. In the first week of October 2021, we had a particularly challenging and interesting seven days. In the space of just seven days, we moved house, we started our new jobs here. I ended up having to have an operation in Worcester, which was meant to be minor surgery, but ended up being major surgery. Oh, and our boiler needed replacing. Oh, and our oven broke. Now, those things are not big in the grand scheme of life, We've had more challenging weeks as a family, and we've had easier weeks. But um, during that time as well, that week, uh, for some reason, my mobile phone would not work. And the only way that my phone would work is if it was constantly plugged in to this charger. And so I'm like recovering from this operation with... (laughs) my phone like this, trying to talk to people. And if, if it wasn't plugged in, it was very, very frustrating. It would just turn off. And so I was messaging people <laughs> like this. And you know, in this, in this moment, I did actually, we had you know, new jobs, new house, uh, new boiler, new oven, and I did get a new phone that week. <laughs> and um, it, there was this one moment, you know, I was, I was um, like this <laughs> with my phone. And I just sensed the Lord. You know, sometimes when it's like, the Lord is here. And I sensed him say to me, Laura, you're only going to get through this season if you remain constantly connected to me, if you seek after my presence, if you draw close to me, if you seek after my involvement, if you hunger after me, if you humbly ask me, if you're on your knees before me, saying, God, will you come? 
God, I need you. God, I need your power in my life. I need your presence in my life. I need your goodness. In September 2021, just before that interesting week, we snuck into a worship and prayer night here before we'd started working here. And uh, we were just stood right over there at the back um, and a rise night. We've got one on Wednesday. It was wonderful. Last time, do come and join us. And Stephen asked us to turn to face the walls. I was stood just there. Face the walls so that we can pray for people to encounter Jesus in this season. And you know, as I turned to face the wall and I prayed that prayer, God, will people come to faith in you? Will people become Christians? Will people encounter you? So I heard the Lord say, Laura, you're going to encounter me. Because you see, our desire for God's presence in our communities can't bypass us. And that is what Solomon is doing here as well. As he's hungry for God, as he said, God, would you come? Would you come? Would I know you? Would you fill me? Would I experience your presence? Jesus tells his disciples that he, when he returns to the Father in heaven, he's not going to leave them, as it were, on their own as like orphans, but he will send his Holy Spirit He does that at Pentecost. And so all of us who are in Christ are filled with the Spirit, but then in Ephesians 5, 18, we're told that we need to keep on being filled, to keep on being filled and renewed and restored, have a greater infilling, a greater awareness of the presence of God. And maybe that's what I need to do today and you need to do today because there's no point without his presence, how we need the Lord today. And so we are humble, hungry, And finally, from our passage, we're invited to be a holy people, a people who are holy, a people who pray and who are holy. It says in verse 60, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. And may your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God to live by his decrees and obey his commands as at this time. You see, a deeper encounter with the presence of God, a deeper awareness of who he is, a deeper manifestation here and in our lives will always lead in this direction. God gives us his Holy Spirit. We're to become a holy people, a people, verse 61, whose hearts are fully committed to the Lord, a people whose lives are transformed by his ways, by his teachings, by his commands. But you know, our holiness is not meant to be a personal, private thing. The Israelites were called to be holy as God is holy for the sake of the surrounding nations, to be a light to the Gentiles. And Solomon captures this in verse 60 when he says, so that all the people, I hope you have a good day, my friend. So that all the people of the earth might hear that the Lord is God. Isn't that the desire, the desire of our heart, that the nations would be reached, that the hunger, that the longing for the Lord to intervene would be at the desire of our heart, that we would be responding to the cries of the people of the nations, just here, responding in our lives responding by becoming captivatingly holy people who follow God's ways. We've got the joy, as has been mentioned, of working with the postgrads. I want to end with a little story about one of the postgrads um, who messaged me, actually, 
just on Wednesday. He's just left us to head back to his country where he, um, he did a bit of brief studying here and now he's back to his home country. It's really wonderful when we gather with the postgrads. Like six out of seven continents are there. It's like my favorite place to sing. <laughs> it's like a foretaste of heaven. And this guy, he messaged me, uh, his name is Nam from Vietnam. <laughs> Originally, he's currently living um, uh, in Germany, back in Germany. He became a Christian just in 2019 from a Buddhist background. He had a grandfather who was a Christian. And Nam messaged me and just recently, and, and it made me remember about how on the postgrad weekend away in November, he had an amazing encounter with the presence of God. And he said to us that at that moment, he sensed the man that God had called him to be. Someone growing in his faith, seeking the Lord, and he has this absolute hunger for the word of God. And, and he texts me on Wednesday and said, there's no postgrad ministry where I am, so I'm starting one up. <laughs> there's no Bible study where I am, so I'm, I'm about to start one. Will you pray? <laughs> you see, here, in St. Aldate's, as we seek the Lord's presence, as we go, we can't do this on our own, as we are humble, as we are hungry, as we grow in holiness, the nations of the earth, may they be reached for the glory of God. Amen. Amen.